Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Well, welcome, Leah, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Beck. Thanks for having me. So you and your husband, Rob, have been together for nearly eight years. Can you tell me how you guys met and how you got together? We actually met online, so probably not how either of us thought we'd meet someone, but it's worked out obviously very well for us. Where I was living, um, he was here on a course, and so um, definitely timing was on our side for that. <laughs> so what happened with that in regards to, I guess, meeting up, going on a first date, and then how did things progress? Did he go back to another location? or what was the situation there? He was down here doing a course and his course was um, about nine months all up. So he was here for a decent amount of time. So when we met, um, he was due to go away on combat survival training shortly after. So we pretty much only got maybe a couple of weeks together and then he was off straight away. So that was probably a good introduction to what life was going to be like. So yeah, and then once he had um, finished that course, he was being posted. So we met down in Toowoomba. So he was at Opie and he was being posted back up to Townsville. I had never lived anywhere other than in the Toowoomba area. So to me, it was going to be um, a big move wherever he went. But I just figured, well, if I'm going to move at any time in my life, I may as well do it while I'm free to do so. So he got his posting and off we went. Right. So how long had you actually been together by the time he got his posting to go? I think it was just shy of a year. We'd met and then the lease had come up on my apartment. So we decided to move in probably only after about six months. It was probably quite quick in some ways. Rob was living in a DHA residence at that point. So we moved in together and then were able to be recognised as de facto once we'd met all the requirements for that, which made the first move quite easy because I was already a dependent. So pretty quick in some people's eyes, but in military it's like an eternity sometimes like having a whole year to get to know each other before you post (laughs) yeah and I think we're pretty lucky to have that time to almost have I guess what you would call a normal relationship because when he was on course you know he was home most nights from what I can remember so it was almost like dating you know someone who wasn't in the defense force we were just able to get to know each other and spend time together and you know have some weekends away and things like that before we had to do a big move and, and have life changed in that way yeah so when you guys got together obviously you moved in after six months so you guys were pretty serious from the start and you had always intended to post with him I don't remember ever having any hesitation about it like I said I'd lived in this area for all my schooling my university life and I just started working in in my field so to me I was free to move if I needed to and he was obviously you know my person so I was I was happy to just follow him and we'd figure out the rest later to be honest (laughs) so what does your husband do in the army and does it take him away a lot how does his job sort of work so when we met he was doing his um, training to become an air crewman so he's army aviation once he had finished that course and was a qualified air crewman our posting was up to Townsville where he um, was an air crewman there for five years and during our time in Townsville there's 
quite a lot of exercises and things. Um, so there's regular ones every year and then a few random ones here, there and everywhere. So in Townsville, the time away was, I would say, maybe at least half the year they were away, anywhere from a few weeks to a few months at a time. And some even overseas places like um, PNG doing high altitude training and things like that. Wow. So once you guys went on your first posting together and then he was away a fair bit, how did you feel settling into the new area after moving away from, I guess, your support network? So it was a very big change for me. So I didn't know anyone up there. I hadn't been able to secure a job before we had left. So everything was brand new. So everything from finding a new hairdresser to finding a job to building that network, everything was brand new for me. I found the local defence spouse pages quite helpful for getting recommendations for all the everyday stuff. And in terms of job seeking, because I was relatively new in my field and only looking for entry level work, I didn't find it too hard to find a job. I think I was unemployed for maybe about four months. Then I was um, lucky to to secure a job in my chosen field, which was good. But yeah, building that network is certainly something I hadn't had to do before as I'd transitioned with friends from primary school to high school, some even through to university, and then you meet people through study. So it was very different to basically have to put my hand up and say, hey, does anyone want to be friends with me? And you're doing that as in your 20s, which is a very strange thing to have to do. Yeah, for sure. And especially during those four months where you, like you mentioned, hadn't secured work yet, you don't have anywhere to be, you don't don't have any connections. So what did you do during those four months to, I guess, stay positive about the job search and I guess not get too lonely? And what did you actually do to, I guess, start finding those friends? I've had most success meeting people through people that Rob works with. So Army Aviation tends to be, um, there's not a lot of really young people doing it because obviously you need to build your career and, and do a fair bit of training to get into it. So a lot of them are sort of, you know, similar age with or without family. So they're all sort of at a similar stage in life. So I found the easiest way was through Rob's colleagues. So they're, you know, just things like barbecue, someone I put on a barbecue, you'd go along and, you know, you'd meet people. You didn't necessarily click with everyone, but, you know, met people here and there and then the other way that I well I, I literally put a post on the the Townsville Defence Partners page just saying who I was what I was interested in and you know did anyone want to meet up and we ended up being able to put together a coffee date for of about 12 women which was a great way to meet you know all sorts of different people and, and even people that weren't in army aviation because there are two bases up there so lots of yeah. different jobs up there. That's awesome that you put your hand up and did that because some people might feel intimidated at that stage because I only being one year into being a spouse, I guess at that stage, you kind of feel like you're definitely still feeling your way through and don't even know what some of the terms mean and how some of defense life works. So how did you, I guess, if you had any of those feelings, get past those? Honestly, I think it just got to a point where I realized that if I didn't put myself out there, I wasn't going to to have that support network, which was very important being nowhere near family. So I, I just had to bite the bullet one night and, and do it. And I just had to push myself to do it, even though it felt extremely awkward as an adult to basically be asking if anyone wanted to be your friend. And yeah, you, I, I just had to do it. And I don't know what made me do it. I think it was just knowing there was a need for it and that there were probably other people in the same boat. And that's exactly what I found. Like we all sort of met up and agreed that it was a bit awkward that we had to do it that way. And half of us, yeah, didn't know the right terminology. And when we asked what each other's partners did, we all just sort of laughed. Half of us didn't even know how to describe it. So it was amazing how similar a lot of people were feeling. And I've, I've still found 
done that to this day, you know, nearly eight years on, half of us don't even know what our partners really do. Yeah. But what a relief <laughs> to find those other people that are willing to say, yeah, I'm just as blind as you. <laughs> like Definitely. And I mean, it's, and it's a real funny thing because, yeah, you, you sit down and the first thing you know that you have in common is that you're linked through defence. So you say, oh, you know, what does your, your partner or your husband do and where are you living and are you in a DHA house? And it's that sort of just, you know, you dip your toes in the water that way and suss everyone out and then you find out that someone works in the same industry or that they've also got a dog or that, you know, and then it just sort of expands from there. Which yeah. Is, or yeah, has been or you like coffee, whatever, whatever the common thread is, it's just got to bind <laughs> you together wine. until you figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So did you have any expectations of what defence life would be like before you actually knew what it was like? Honestly, I thought it was going to be a little bit like the movies. I thought there, you know, would be the super patriotic things that you see in American movies and there's big farewells and big homecomings and, and all that sort of stuff. So I probably went in with rose-coloured glasses maybe. Yeah, you're like, where I are my army to... wife buddies with their basket of muffins or whatever? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've arrived, girls. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's, I probably, yeah, I, I didn't have very realistic expectations. So, yeah, I thought we'd have these big fancy homecomings, you know, where I'd be standing with all the other spouses and, you know, it'd all be tearful and wonderful. And, and honestly, most of the time it would be Rob calling me saying, yeah, but finally home, you can come and pick me up from base. And he'd just be standing outside a building with his bags and I'd just pull up and he gets in and we go home. So, yeah, not very glamorous. Come on, Rob, what a letdown. <laughs> Could have a bunch of flowers for me or something like that or, you know, like walk up to me in your uniform with some tears in your eyes because you've missed me so much. Yeah, no, I don't think we ever had any of that, but that's okay. So did you ever, I guess, second guess going further with the relationship because Rob was in defence when you met? No, I've, I've never had any hesitation with that. As soon as we met, it like we just clicked. We were each other's person and I don't think regardless of what either of us did for work was going to stop that. So moving with him didn't phase me. I just figured I'd figure out my part of life whenever we got there and did seem a bit crazy to suddenly just pack up and move, you know, 1,500 kilometres north when I'd never lived anywhere else. But I think I um, probably had to do more convincing of other people than I did myself. I was happy to just go, but I probably yeah, spent a bit of time maybe convincing friends or family that, you know, it would be okay and the army was going to move us. You know, worst case scenario, if it, if it didn't work out, you know, I, my stuff can be moved back. It's not like if I go, then then that's it. So when you moved for that first posting, you did have a job when you moved and you had to obviously resign and then go into the posting wondering whether you were going to find another job. What was your field of work at the time and did you continue in the same field when you got to the new location? So I was working in the foster care side of child protection, so supporting foster carers um, with their placements and assessing people wanting to become foster carers, that kind of work. So I had managed to secure a job at a really good company here in Toowoomba before we'd left and I'd only been with them about four months. So I'd only really just started to dip my toes in the water of that work in that sector and then had to resign. And that was a little bit nerve wracking to think, oh, I finally got a job, but you know, are they going to be able to give me a decent reference after four months? But it never really occurred to me to stay behind and not move with Rob. So yeah, it was a little bit nervous, but I didn't really think it would be too much of an issue. And once we got up there, I was able to secure pretty much an identical job. It did take that four months that I mentioned, which was somewhat stressful, but I guess I just held out hope that it would just be a matter of time rather than that it wouldn't happen. So how did you think that your career would work with Defence Life? Did you just go into it thinking it's fine, I'll just pick up a job wherever we go? Or did you have any sort of backup plans in your head? What were you thinking would work? I must admit, I just kind of thought that I would move and just find a job wherever we went. I guess I didn't ever really stop to think that it, it wouldn't 
didn't happen because I'd always managed to find, you know, a part-time job when I was at uni and, and things like that. So I'd never had to experience long-term unemployment ever since I'd started working. So I guess, again, probably went in maybe a little bit naive thinking that I would just find a work wherever we met. And I was probably, probably didn't really think about the impacts or the sacrifices on my own career that defence life would put on on those areas. So things like, you know, that it would be hard to progress into more senior roles or even becoming a manager in my sector, you know, when I'm moving and normally having to apply for the entry level positions every time. And even thinking about things like not being able to build up long service leave or superannuation, you know, when you move, if you're changing companies. And I I really didn't think about that, to be honest. Um, And I've sort of been lucky in that I've, you know, been able to find enough to keep going. But that is something that as the years go on is becoming more apparent that that ability to progress certainly is limited. Yeah. And how do you think you can, I guess, counteract that? I think some smart things that I could have done or that I will be doing moving forward is maybe looking to secure work with companies that are nationwide, for example, so that transfers are more of an option and even looking into things that I could potentially do online or remote or from home, you know, that any of that sort of thing, just so that no matter where I move, providing I've got the right equipment that could continue. Hindsight's wonderful, of course. And so had you guys, when you first got together and I guess when you'd been together for a little while, had you spoken about how kids would fit into postings or defence life or did you just think they'll just come along when they're ready to come along? What did you guys discuss in regards to family planning? I don't know if we'd ever actually spoke about it specifically in relation to defence life. Like I was only... 23 or so when we met so I guess we just sort of thought we'll move and then we'll get engaged we'll get married we'll have kids and you know that's just how the timeline will sort of go and I think probably the reason for that is with army aviation it does work a little bit differently in terms of they are a little bit more family focused they are a little bit more flexible with the guys being home for things and so I wasn't ever sort of thinking that I'd be ever giving birth alone or anything like that. And so what was the reality when you guys did start to try for children? Did it happen straight away? How did it work with, I guess, your husband being away? It didn't go to plan, but nothing does with defence life. So for us personally, we were unable to conceive naturally. I had a diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome. So after trying to conceive for six months, we got our referral to our specialist. And then our journey with IVF began there and then. So between delays with defence life and delays with um, IVF treatment, it actually took us three years to conceive our daughter and bring her into the world. So um, that was quite a long journey um, and definitely not how we thought it would happen. And some of the curveballs that defence life threw at us, obviously with Rob not being home in order to progress treatment. So I would need to wait for him to be back from exercises and things like that to be able to do his tests or come to appointments or things like that. But even just delays in terms of defence members needing to get their tests tests done through the army med center not like I can just walk into QML to have my blood done but he would have to go through his med center which worked a little bit differently so lots of little um, delays and hiccups that I guess were unique to defense life Um, and we had to find little ways to to work around those and and just try and muddle through it the best we could. So with the PCOS diagnosis did you go into trying for a baby knowing that you had PCOS and thinking it would take longer or be harder and when you were diagnosed was that when you were a teenager like how 
does it sort of work with a diagnosis like that? So I got the diagnosis about six months before we got married. So I had some symptoms that I thought, oh, you know, these weren't right, like extra long cycles and things like that. And when I went to the doctor and, and said, you know, this is what I'm experiencing, she said, oh, well, that sort of hits all the markers for this, but let's do the blood test and find out for sure. So I, I did the blood test when they check your hormones and things like that. And it, and it came back as, yep, based on these symptoms, that's what I would say you have. So she said, you know, you may have quite a lot of trouble conceiving and basically the advice at that point as research has come so far even since um, it all happened for us but back then it was basically if you know if you're not trying to conceive right now going on the pill will mask your symptoms and you don't really need to do anything to you're actually trying to have a baby so obviously it was six months before the wedding so we weren't you know wanting to do anything right there and then so we just sort of followed that advice and then basically once the wedding was out of the way we thought okay let's see how it happens and obviously nothing did but with a diagnosis you only have to be trying to conceive for six months instead of the normal 12 if you've got a known fertility issue so we were able to get our referral to the specialist you know six months quicker than the average couple but then you begin the delays with fertility treatment and you know it's a four-month wait to see your specialist your first appointment is just information gathering and then it's three months till your next appointment so you're talking from when you get your referral to when you actually start any sort of treatment can be close to a year and that's already once you know your heart and mind is ready for a baby and that's just sort of when all those delays but other IVF couples will know and that's when it all starts. Yeah. And so during that time, was your husband going to be posted in the same area? Was he going to be home? Like you're kind of on the clock in certain ways in regards to, I guess, getting things underway or deciding whether to wait until you get to the next posting location so you can have continued care with the same provider. Like how were you going about that? We weren't due for our posting until mid-2018 and around this time was sort of, we get looking at about late 2015, early 2016. So we still had time up our sleeve. So we wanted to start our treatment in Townsville. And we're actually very fortunate that the Queensland Fertility Group Clinic in Townsville had what's called an accessible IVF program, um, which basically is about 30% of the price of normal IVF. So that makes it considerably cheaper and made it within our reach to be able to do IVF rather than try less invasive and cheaper methods, which we did try a little bit of and and they weren't successful. So we were very lucky to have access to that program and we wouldn't have had access to that program without Defence Life. So there's a little bit of um, a silver lining amongst everything else. Have you heard about our Lots of Love Care Packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. Yes, we started our treatment in Townsville. We found a doctor we really liked and because we knew that it it may take time, we didn't really want to wait to be back closer to family. We didn't think that would be of any benefit to us at that time. So how many rounds did it take or how long did it end up taking once you started IVF? So from the entire journey from starting to trying to conceive through to actually conceiving our daughter was three years in total. So she was our fifth round of IVF. So we did one egg retrieval and then I actually got quite sick from all the medication 
operation and ended up in hospital for um, about half a week. So that was at the end of 2016. Um, in 2017, we did three rounds of IVF, two back to back, and then one with a little bit of a break. So just transferring one embryo at a time. And sadly, none of those were successful at all. We got to the end of 2017 and we had four embryos left and they recommended that because we were, you know, young and healthy and it was, they didn't understand why it wasn't working. They suggested we send our embryos away to be genetically tested. So they put the four of them, packed them in liquid nitrogen, flew them to Brisbane from Townsville. They then had to thaw each one of them. They take about six cells from each one. So these are, these are microscopic little things like smaller than a pinhead and they're taking six cells from all of them. Then they refreeze them and then they test those cells to make sure that each of them have the right sets of chromosomes, the right numbers. They're not missing any or have any extras. So then they flew them back up to Townsville from Brisbane. And during that process, we actually lost one of them. So it, um, when they thought it to test it, it, um, it stopped dividing. So we lost that one before testing. So we were left with three of those three. One of them was chromosomally abnormal. So that one gets discarded regardless of our wishes because it um, is chromosomally abnormal. So that mm-hmm. left us with two. And one of them is our daughter that we have today. And then one is still left in the freezer ready for us. Oh, wow. So I guess during all of those rounds, your husband still has a job. You've still got a job. Like life is still going on. How were you going with support? Like was your husband away? Was he around? How did it work? So he was away a fair bit. Um, So with, like I mentioned before, the regular exercises that happen every year as well as a few things thrown in there. Like when there's a natural disaster, they would help out and things like that as well. So there wasn't really an ability to plan treatment around him being home. And I guess one of the upsides of IVF is once you're working with frozen embryos, the partner doesn't actually need to be there anymore. They just need to sign the consent form and you can pretty much do what you need. So me being the over-organized person that I am, got him to sign a consent form for each of the remaining embryos we had. And I said, I'll uh, I'll let you know when it's happening. And (laughs) just kept kept him in the loop and I and I worked it around what I needed to work it around and um yeah if that's not defense life in a nutshell then I don't know what it is and then what happened when you finally got the happy news was he around was he at the appointment like what was his situation and how did you tell him and yeah so of course he wasn't there when it finally worked so he was there for the, the first four rounds and all that heartache and disappointment and then with the last ones I said you know you just you just go and I'll just do it like we'll figure it out so he leaves on a six-week exercise and then we were due for the official blood test about four days later but me being too antsy start doing my tests at home leading up to it as <laughs> other couples will know about because I can yeah. wait 14 days so I start testing at home and for the very first time get two lines straight away nice and strong so I called him and told him and he you know couldn't let on he's at work surrounded by guys so he's just kind of like oh, okay yep cool yep no that's good all right, oh. all right I'll talk to you later and then he's sending me messages throughout the day being like this is so exciting I can't tell anyone you know I'm trying not to grin too much and so then you know for the first six weeks of you know the first pregnancy after all of that I'm in town so on my own can't tell anyone because it's too early and sort of having to deal you know that roller coaster of emotion it's exciting that it's happening but you know it's so early and you're obviously not feeling anything so is it real and there's four weeks till your first scan to find out if it's still there and is everything okay so that was really really hard um, to deal with that on my own but also having him gone probably helped in that you know I had to look after me and the house and the pets and still go to work and all that stuff still needs to be done but I certainly won't minimize yeah 
what an emotional roller coaster it was leading up to that and then having it finally happen with him not there. Yeah. So then when he got back, like what was that reunion like? It obviously it was just normal standard six week exercise, but his homecoming that time must have meant heaps. Yeah, so suddenly picking him up, you know, him standing outside a building with some bags didn't seem of a let down. So I can't remember exactly, but I'm I'm sure I would have leapt out of the car and it was just that extra special homecoming. But then little did we know that pretty much as soon as he got back we got 60 days notice of a posting back down here to Toowoomba so you know we'd gone through all of that and then he comes home and I'm you know already 10 weeks pregnant and then it's like great now you're going to Oki and you've got to be there in 60 days so then we sort of go through a whole nother upheaval of great now I have to quit this job and and find another job and now we're pregnant and will I be able to find work there and but we'll need the money for our obstetric care and so then it then we go on yet another roller coaster. Oh, stressful because how do you go about getting a job when you already obviously know you're pregnant and I guess they can't discriminate against you being pregnant, but it's kind of hard to commit to a job when you're like, hi, I'm going to be here for six months and then I'm going on maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was actually very fortunate. It came down to one of those who, you know, sort of situations and I had let my friends and family know that, you know, I was looking for work in Toowoomba and the connection that ended up being made, it was my uncle's cousin's daughter was a partner at a, at a local accountant and they were looking for someone just for five months to get them through the busy tax season. That was going to finish right when I would want to be finishing up. And that's how I ended up finding a job pretty much as soon as we moved back down here to Toowoomba. So luck just happened to be on our side with that one. Which obviously was great for those five months, but did that then mean that you weren't eligible? for the government maternity pay leave how did that no I actually did manage to get that because I'd been working in Townsville right up until we left and then I started working here within a week or two of getting here so I did tick the box for that because I think you have to work 10 of the 13 months so yeah because I've been working in Townsville it did actually tick the box and whilst you know we wouldn't have been living on bread and water without it it certainly is something to consider um, in terms of just that little bit of security and it is certainly helpful after everything we had to outlay to bring her into the world it was nice to yeah just have that little bit of security with that so has rob been around a fair bit once your daughter was born like or was he away again or what has it been like since having your baby so we were actually again very fortunate with his job in that um so she was born in mid-november and because it was an elective caesar we were able to provide defense with a letter from the obstetrician stating you know the date that i would be having the cesarean so that um was able to tick the box for rob to do Um, two weeks of carers leave from that date following on from that the normal 10 days of parental leave so that already got him a month at home with her and that took him through to mid-December then there are standard stand down days over Christmas he was able to use those and then I think he used about six weeks of annual leave that he'd had built up because in Townsville because they were working so much there wasn't a lot of opportunity for you know going away and using leave so he actually ended up being home through until the first week of February so home with her you know nearly for three months and I think it was a nice little reward after everything we went through to bring her into the world just to have that little bubble of just the three of us for that first couple of months. In saying that what has to happen with your last embryo that's I guess still on ice? So just when we thought everything was great we'd brought her into the world and everything's lovely then we start to have the conversation because even at your six-week checkup the doctor's like so what are you thinking about number two and we just you know a bit flabbergasted at that but <laughs> everyone starts asking you the minute you, you know you can drive again when you're thinking of number two so we had originally thought about 
at least three, if not four years between kids. That's just what we thought, you know, would be good. Um, but then we started to think, well, if moving back to Townsville is the next step, which it looks like it probably will be, it's probably a lot easier to try to have a second child when we're living here with our friends and family a bit closer than to not only move up there and, you know, start afresh again, but then have to deal with a, a newborn, two children, including a newborn with Rob going away again. So we've actually decided to try and use our last embryo early in the new year. And whilst that will mean potentially, you know, two under two or thereabouts, we figure that little bit of craziness is is probably a lot more manageable here when we have friends and families. But um, the next drama that happened with that was, well, then do we fly back to Townsville or do we have our treatment here in Toowoomba? So I started to make some phone calls and basically just got all the information and spoke to Defence first, who said, well, no, the, the embryo is not an, an asset, so it doesn't get moved. You know, we won't cover the costs of that, but you can try and speak to Toll. So then we call Toll and Toll say, oh, there's nothing in our policy about that. But if it's not covered under Defence Medical, then we won't cover it, but you could try DCO. So then we call DCO. They say the same thing because it's not covered by defence medical because the fertility issue was mine and not Rob's. If it was Rob's, then they cover all your costs of, or the, sorry, the defence member. They cover all the costs of your treatment, including moving your embryos for you. So basically after all those phone calls and emails, the cost of moving the embryo was going to be on us, which is about $700. So not cheap and obviously carries the risks of when you move it, it may start to, if something goes wrong and it thaws, then you lose your embryo. So we have actually um, decided that myself and my daughter will travel back up to Townsville in the new year and I will undergo that last round of IVF in the hope that it works. Rob won't come with us just due to needing to um, be at work and we'll, we'll try and save his leave where we can. But it actually crazily works out cheaper for me to fly back to Townsville because um, we're still eligible for their um, cheaper program up there. So it works out cheaper even with flights and things like that to travel and be up there for treatment than to not only do treatment here in terms of cost, but then you have the added risk of moving that embryo and we don't have anything left after that. So. Oh, wow. So exciting times, but a bit of a trek to get the process underway, I guess. Yeah, so I mean, a little bit funny that yet again, I'll be trying to conceive a baby without him actually being there. But lovely that we get to go back and see our, our doctor. We actually named our daughter after our doctor up there. Oh, um, wow. So it'll be wonderful for the doctor to meet her in person and vice versa and just get to finish the whole IVF journey with the same doctor. So she's been there from, from the very get-go and this will be the last embryo, the last treatment we undergo and we'll be able to do it with her with the same nurse, which will be lovely. And so any words, of wisdom for other I guess defense families may be going through or starting the journey of IVF or fertility treatments I guess hindsight is wonderful and there are a few things that we would do differently if we could start again so I think being um, really educated and aware of all your different treatment options is something that can save you quite a lot of time and money if you if you look into them so when I mentioned about our embryos flying to Brisbane to be genetically tested if we had done that right at the beginning then that would have ruled out any embryos that you know we're never going to result in a pregnancy which we'll never know if the three that we transferred that didn't work were even normal so we could have actually saved ourselves all those three rounds and you know the heartache and stress and money that went along with it if we tested them right at the beginning but that sort of option wasn't brought up to our attention until we'd sort of done the three rounds and they weren't successful and then no one sort of knew why so I think being aware of you know those sort of things that you can do that can assist you and maybe not waiting until you get really desperate at the end to 
start, you know, clutching to anything you can try. So I think being aware of all of that is really helpful um, in terms of managing the stress of it all. Obviously, it's very different for everyone um, going through it, depending on why you're going through it and the exact type of treatment that you're having. But I think utilising BBCS or it's now Open Arms is something I wish that I had started back then, you know, being able to access that support for free as opposed to needing to do, you know, a mental health plan through your GP and potentially have out-of-pocket costs. Um, I think that probably would have really helped us, whether we did that individually or, or together, I think would have really helped us process a lot of what was going on because that's something that we've identified now that Margot is here. We never really got the opportunity to process it. So you have all the negatives and all the, sorry, it didn't, this round didn't work and you try again. But then once it works, no one sort of talks about all the times it didn't anymore and you almost never really got to process the loss and the grief associated with them. So I think if we'd maybe had something like that throughout the journey, it may have just helped just cope with things and process it a little bit. Do you access open arms now or how do you go about getting support through them? Do you just do it on a needs basis or do you do it regularly? So yeah, so I'm not ashamed neither of us are to admit that we actually do utilise their services at the moment and have found them to be extremely helpful. So I have individual sessions myself just to help with just general anxiety and, and coping as well as we do see someone together just for general you know, relationship counselling not because there's any big red flags or big issues but it just helps us with our communication and helps us see things through each other's eyes and therefore be able to just work better as a couple I think so we sort of thought we'd access it as a bit of a bit of a preventative I guess as things can always be better and maybe if you know, we communicate better or can, you know, do things, yeah, better is the word I keep coming back to. You can always do things better. Um, and yeah, we've actually learned a lot about each other. So even though we've been together for, you know, coming up to eight years, it's amazing how much we, we didn't know about each other uh, in terms of personality and coping and communication. So it's actually been really good. And, and we leave the sessions always with smiles on our faces and feeling really good and learning things about each other. And in my individual sessions, it yeah, just helps me, you know, just with some of those coping strategies, whether it be things that are related to defence or not, that I think any self-care that you can do helps be a better mother, it helps me be a better wife and can only be a good thing. And should definitely be something that now it's actually become acceptable for people to say, yeah, I access it. You know, a couple of years ago, it might have been something that people kept to themselves, but everyone I ask is always happy and open to talk about the fact that they access it, which in itself is a big thing because it's better to be accessing it along the way as opposed to when you're really at breaking point and desperate. I guess doing it along the way gives you those, like you said, coping mechanisms and strategies to be able to deal with life and be a better mother, wife, friend, whatever it is. And that can only be a good thing. Definitely. And I think there is a bit of a common misconception with the defence members that defence will find out or, you know, that it may affect career and deployments and things like that. But they have the normal um, confidentiality that anyone would have in that unless, you know, they're going to be a risk to themselves or others, it, it really is kept confidential. So it did take a little while for Rob to become comfortable with, yep, okay, we can do this. But it's only been a, a great thing for us and, and it is confidential and no one knows anything unless there is any of those risks that any psychologist or counsellor would have to disclose. So yeah. if you can access something that's going to help you and it's free of charge and they can be flexible with their time of appointments around your work or 
yeah, I think it's great. And we do take Margot to our sessions and our, our counsellor, you know, doesn't mind that she's there, doesn't mind if I have to breastfeed her. So it doesn't even limit me to, oh, well, I've got kids, so I could never make the sessions. They work it around Rob's schedule. They work it around Margot's schedule. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I'll be excited to hear hopefully some happy news in the new year that there's a another baby coming along. And oh, I wish you luck on traveling to get the transfer. And I hope it all goes well. Thank you. Yes, hopefully some happy news. But either way, our, our journey will be coming to an end. So we'll be cautious optimistic and um, we'll be very happy to share if we have some news to share yeah and of course it'll be a good sign if rob gets sent away on exercise at the same time yeah we'll, we'll hope something <laughs> pops up i so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode there are definite ups and downs to military life but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together we are all just doing our best so until next week you got this Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 